Welcome to Dancing with Gravity, my podcast into the life of a juggler. My name is Cyril Rabat, I'm your host and I'm French. I've been a professional juggler for the past 25 years. In this episode, I am talking with Kelly Howard. Uh, she's an actress, stand-up comedian, she has an amazing podcast. Uh, she's, she's been through so much in her life and grew in such a way from it and she's so transparent about who she is on stage and on her podcast and in every aspect of her life that she's just an amazing human being and I thought you would want to know her and hear about her story so here it is Kelly Howard the closer you speak to the mic the better your voice is gonna sound cool yeah Got you. Yeah, so I, um, I mean, just so you know, this is totally informal. Are these speakers? Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, from Bang and Olufsen. They're supposed to connect together so I can hear stereo. It's via Bluetooth, which is not stable. Oh. As much as, you know, via like Wi-Fi or something. But when you go on tour, it's awesome because the sound quality is really cool and, and, um, you just throw that in your suitcase and that's it. So when it went, because I, I what do you really, mean when you go on tour? You use those on stage? N- no, no, just you're in your hotel oh, room and you want to just listen to a podcast, music or something and you don't feel like having your headphones. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm really big on like audio quality, like sound quality. I yeah. hate it when bass are terrible and it's just like shitty, you know? Yeah. So I looked for a long time for something portable so i went to because you know like i used to be on tour all the time just just on the road all the fucking time so then you yeah that was a really good thing so well now that we're in a home and we have a house maybe i'll look for another sound system but for now that's what we have nice yeah pretty cool yeah yeah i like it yeah the way you have it hanging up there is like you you think it's a speaker because of the holes but you're like but is it you know what i mean it might be like i don't know and then you're not from here so it might be like some interesting thing from over you know yeah in france we do that all the time yeah just hang speakers (laughs) i I feel you i feel you yeah cool nice this is such a great space man i love it thank you it's like you guys utilize your space really well very minimalist style yeah living uh it's it's a little more bohemian that we were, we were in a very fancy high rise for a few months because I was a tr- I never lived in and a high rise. And then you realized that, that that was like a terrible financial yeah, decision. <laughs> yeah. So expensive it's very and expensive. I was struggling to pay the rent I bet. and then I stressed the fuck out. Yeah. Right. Oh, can I curse? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, well, well, I guess it's over then, huh? <laughs> right. <laughs> Thanks for having me. This was awesome. <laughs> no, it's very informal. I cool, do cool, whatever cool. the fuck I want on this podcast. And, awesome. You know, we'll see what happens. 
But yeah, yeah, that was I, I, it. Was a dream for me to be in a high rise because in Europe we don't have that, so it was just like so futuristic. Yeah, and we had all those amenities and everything. But actually, the management company was kind of sucked, and the whole thing was very expensive. And at, at one point, I was like, "Shit, w- what are we doing here?" It's like there's no soul, you know. It's like empty. So wait, you you guys don't have like. You guys don't have tall buildings at all, or just no. like no. There's one tall building in Paris, and it's La Tour Mont- uh, Montparnasse, and it's ugly as fuck. They did it in like the '60s, and it's only like offices there, and you you really architecturally you're like, what the fuck is this doing here? And the tallest building are like uh, all the buildings are like five stories. Oh wow, five or six, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. Th- that's so it. to stay on like the thirty seventh floor is yeah. insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like. It's unreal, you know, like it uh, is. It's it's unreal how expensive that shit is. <laughs> yeah, and then the higher you go, the more money yeah, you pay, and yeah. it's like, oh my god, yeah. it's an endless thing. And so, we were in this for a few months, and then we were able to break up the lease just like that and get out there. And and, and now this is more like us. Like in Europe, that's that's kind of like what you get. Yeah, you know, it's this kind of feeling. It's smaller, but. I mean, hey, it's more intimate. Like, you know, I remember when we lived, we've lived a couple places, but some of the units we lived in, it was just so spread out that, like, if one person is in their room and another person is in a living room and someone's in a kitchen, we are literally so far away from each other. Mm. There's no connection. Mm. So then we moved to where we live at now um, out of necessity just because we live in Evanston. Rent is astronomical Mm -hmm. and we only are living there because our daughters are finishing high school and they Mm -hmm. have one of the best, they have like the public high school in Evanston is like in the top 2% of high schools Uh, in America. In America, whoa. Yeah, Yeah. public schools. So it's a great school. I mean, they've taught my daughter. I can't even have conversations with my daughter anymore because she's just like... She's so smart. Yeah, education level. I'm like, bro, you need to bring it down to about sixth grade if you really want to have a decent conversation (laughs) with me because right now, all that marginalization conversation you talking about, (laughs) I don't know what that means. (laughs) I have to Google after every conversation with her. It's pretty bad. Are you taking notes? Yeah, I I am. I'm like taking notes. I'm like, okay, what is she talking about? Cool, cool, cool. Am I going to be quizzed on this next Friday? I just want to make sure. I'm I'm going to be prepared. Um, But yeah, so, but we live in this smaller space. And at first it was like, ah, this is tiny. Like, cause we, Uh it's so small. Like we were used to. You were four, right? You know what? Let me, let me back. It's four of us. Yeah. Four of of you. And two dogs. And two dogs. Yeah. So let me back up. So first, when we first moved to Evanston, it was kind of like you. Right. Right. That necessity of like. Um, I've never been to this place. We don't really have time to look for an apartment. Let's right. just grab Boom. this. It's here, yeah. right? And so we did that. We were paying $2,700 a month Shit. for a three-bedroom. Yeah. Right. And it was just insane. Yeah. It was like... So much money. It was it was insane. And then finally, we was like, all right, we got one year left. We don't want to be putting $2,700 into nothingness because it's not like we, we own away. anything. It's, it's just, just, it's just yeah. nothingness. And so we moved to the smaller space that we're in now it's $1,600 a month. We don't even have counter space to like put our juicer and things that we were accustomed to at this bigger space. I know, yeah. Um, we only have like the Vitamix. That's the only thing we have on the counter. But it is much more intimate. Like mm-hmm. we're right there. Mm-hmm. You know, the kitchen's right there. Mm-hmm. The, the be- like everything's right there. So if somebody's eating at the table mm-hmm. and you're, you're in them. the kitchen, you're yeah. right, and you're in a living room, you guys are technically in the same room. Right, which right. Even if you're not communicating or dealing with each other, it's it, still some type of like energy work happening. So there. you like it? 
Yeah, kind of I do. And I just don't want a huge space. Like, it's my, they're going to college. Mm. I don't want anything bigger than a three-bedroom just because we don't need it. Yeah, I, I, I feel it's an American thing about, like, prestige or something to have, like, those huge houses with, like, so many rooms you don't know what the fuck, why, you know? It's like, and, and it's, yeah. it's pe people's... Uh, right like strive to get that and have that and then it's so much to keep up with like um cleaning the thing and like keep up with the thing and filling up the space with so much shit yeah and the bigger the space the more shit you're yeah. gonna have it's like because you have a like i gotta this can't be empty this wall can't be plain yeah I need a, you know, I really, 19 foot painting right, right here. I right, must have right, this. Right, right, right. <laughs> That's like, why this wall was built for this painting. It's yes. like just a bunch and of it's dumb just more stuff. and more and more. Yeah. I, I, I think the, know. I think the prestige comes from being able to utilize a small space in an efficient yet still very comfortable and inviting way. That's yeah. what I think if you want to say, oh, it's prestige, because you get all this money, you have all this space, right? And for one, it creates separateness because people mm. are in different parts of the house. Mm. And then two, um, just from a, um, like a, a, a energy perspective, it just, to me, it, it breeds like more separation. Mm just even in the brain, mm. you know what I mean? So maybe not like, Oh, because the room is all the way over there. We're separate. Like in a physical sense. I mean, like we are literally saying that it's okay to be this far apart do you, as a family. Are you always all at home or do you, your husband has a, a job, a day job? And yeah, yeah, and yeah. Like, my husband works during the day. I typically work from home. I have like my office. So you're, you're when you're home during the day, you're alone because everybody's out to, to the, to, to an work, extent, my to, daughter is to school to sometimes, sometimes, or sometimes my husband will work from home. He has an office at home, and that works. Yeah, to spend yeah, the yeah. whole day together. Well, we won't be together. His office is upstairs, mine is downstairs, uh -huh, uh -huh. and we just understand space. Like we yeah. both have shit that we need to get done. And if we don't, we'll come downstairs and like shoot the breeze, or he'll come downstairs and shoot the breeze, or I'll go upstairs and say, "Hey, I'm about to roll a joint. Would you like to come share? Mm -hmm. You know, we'll have mm -hmm. like a little powwow about it, and then mm -hmm. he'll he'll say, "No, I got a call in 15 minutes. I right. can't." Right. be high on this call right. you know but afterwards Let's whatever yeah you know so it's just like we have this we, we have an understanding yeah yeah because i'm talking about that because uh i grew up like that like being uh together my, my father is uh arabic from syria mm -hmm. so in in for him in his childhood the entire family lives together. Oh wow! Um, uh, he have like ten siblings. When the the uh, the the man, like the one of his brother, got married, he moves in with his wife, and so they live together together. Wow! You know? So it's this, but they own like a whole three stories building with like yeah. a lot of rooms and everything. But then, so there's this mentality of like always being together. And he's a musician, so he was home all day yeah and so for for me i grew up like that like being very comfortable being all together in the same room but the thing is now uh with my wife i i realize that sometimes uh and i'm learning that sometimes you need space from each other oh gosh yes you know like yes. how how can you 
miss each other and want to be together if you always on top of each other always right together. like there's a moment like it's too much yeah and i, I had to learn that for, for the better i'm very happy i, I i'm learning about yeah. that and so that's why I'm, I'm asking you because i understand what you're saying about like being together and feeling together and the energy being different and i, I instinctively and un- like uh, I, i'm drawn to that but i also now understand the importance of like um, not being together all the time and being able to give each other some space. Yeah, that space as far as actual in-house distance, Yeah, that huge separation between this large, you know, living room, large kitchen, large bedrooms, you know, basement, upstairs, downstairs, right. that kind of space when it's only f- four people in the house anyway, uh-huh. to me, is not the space that one needs when they're just when they just want to be alone those are two different types of space yeah that's physical space that can breed a mentality of separation yeah i am me having grew up in a household of it was 13 well let me not say it was 13 of us in the house i was the youngest um yeah because i live with my grandmother and in that house it was my grandmother it was my dad sometimes my dad my aunt Deborah, her boyfriend, her four kids. Wow. Um, my uncle Mickey. Like they, none of them were like my siblings. My sibling, my brother lived with my mom in a oh. different location. So I lived in this house with all these randos, basically. <laughs> I mean, they were family, uh, yeah. but it was still very. It was a different type of family, and because of that, that made me desire space, mm-hmm. and so in deep, deep ways. Like, so for so many years into my adulthood, I did not want to be in the type of space I'm in now right. with my family. Right. I don't give a shit if it was my daughter you or feel, my mother yeah, or a mate. Too much I need my, like my, I yeah. literally need my space. And yeah. so I went through many, many years of just like this huge disconnect of not even wanting people to get close to me. Like wouldn't even hug people. Like yeah. there's this huge disconnect. Yeah. You need, you right. Need like I need space. my fucking space. Mm, mm, then mm. I, now that I've gotten the space and I understand boundaries, right? Now I'm able to want that closeness of and like intimacy. being in a smaller yeah. house, but knowing what my space looks like. Right, right, right. You know did what I mean? You, did you taught that to your children, to your daughters? Uh, I think they've seen it just from seeing my process. Right, right. They see us meditate. They see us do things for ourselves. They see us go and work out. Yeah. They see these things. Like these so are things that I example. didn't grow up seeing. Like I right. didn't see my mom go work out. I didn't see my mom go meditate. I did see my mom, you know, pray. Uh-huh. You know, I walk in her room in the morning. She'd be on her knees praying or something like that. But for the most part, I didn't see any of those other activities of mm. creating space, creating boundaries, healthy mm. boundaries, understanding what is and is not someone else's business. Um, you know, because we think that because we're family, we share everything. And mm-hmm. that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes mm-hmm. certain things are just to be separate. Right, right. And well, especially when parents, children, like the, parents, there's different things. children, siblings, all of that, there right? different, yeah. So understanding those boundaries, I think, is what really helps be able to create that space no matter how small uh-huh. the actual physical space is. Wow. That's you can so live in a fucking studio apartment. Yeah. Honestly, and, and still have that space. And create that. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, I can see that with my wife. She's really good at that. And she actually um, helped me and my children. So I have two, two kids from my first marriage. So she's their stepmom. And, and she's actually taught us all a lot about space, like my kids and myself, actually. I'm, I'm learning as, as much as my kids are learning from it. Mm-hmm. The challenge is for me is that uh, since my kids live mostly with their mom, uh, they're used to a different uh, way of sharing space and being on top of each other. And it seems that th- th- they're not really they're learning a lot of th- great things, but it looks like they're not specifically learning about that in with their mom. So then it's always a challenge, uh, yeah, to, 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 to talk to them about that and like set a different rhythm. When they come here. Yeah. yeah, yeah they yeah. always have like a week of adjustment. And I mean, kids are amazing. They're like so malleable, flexible. They, they will yeah. change really fast and grow very fast and understand the new rules and adapt really super fast. But we, we have that challenge sometimes of, oh, we have to remind ourselves that they not necessarily do that all the, like regularly. So then they just for, they forget. Yeah, and it's something really beautiful about them having that difference on both sides. True. It's like being able to learn, you know, the behaviors of other people in different places and different countries. True. Uh, just understanding that from a much yeah. deeper s- personal experience because yeah. that's what they're getting right now from that. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty cool. No, totally. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy they're having us. It can, be, it can definitely be a headache sometimes <laughs> but I feel like you know with I don't know with these kids the more they see the more exposure the mm. more they even in bad ways like people are like oh that was that was they shouldn't have saw that or they right. shouldn't have and I, I don't agree with that I think that if a kid happened to be in a space that where they were where they saw something uh-huh. where they experienced something then we need to find a more optimistic spin on how to have them use that right you right. know, and how do you use that, that and, and learn from that and grow with that and, and build with that? Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. You know, that's a good point. I mean, what can you do once it's seen? It's seen. You can't, you can't erase remove it. the exactly. image or whatever it is from their mind. You you can only help them understand and grow f- and understand cope and, with process that and process it. And process it. it. Yeah, yeah, and it's not even right to tell them like it's wrong. Right. You know, to try to give them an opinion on it. It's like no, help them un- help them develop their own idea around it, yeah. you know, and, and kind of walk and kind of, I don't want to say pacify, but kind of like, you know, um, push them along the way, you know, just kind of, uh, the words that's coming to me is like question. Like, you know, you ask mm. questions and you get them to mm. answer the question. for them. It's like kind of that whole idea. So like coming here and then wanting to be as affectionate or as, you know, I don't know what exactly they do that goes against whatever your spatial. Right. Well, they, 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 they you know, like I don't they're know. having a hard time giving each other space to, oh, you know, I have yeah, a son yeah, yeah. and a daughter and my son has a hard time like understanding, you, you know, when you say, hey, I need space. Yeah. It really means, hey, I need space. It's not just 
semantic you know it's actually and he's he's having a really hard time like registering that and so he's gonna piss off his daughter or his his sister my daughter his sister until she they like hit on each other you know like and and start and break up a fight and it's like no okay okay let's break it down so they understand in the process when is a good time to listen and actually understand what are each other's need and, yeah. and respect that um, so in France, do they not, is that just not a thing like with space? I think it really depends on families because, uh, in, yeah, in, in general, in Europe, people are closer together because yeah. there's less physical space. Yeah. So you're closer to people in public transportation, in the street, in like it's in, in, in eating in a restaurant, like everybody's on top of each other. It's just because it's much, everything is much smaller. Yeah. Even the cars are smaller. Like everything is smaller, you know? So it's a different relationship to like a physical different relationship. And it's a different concept, you know? We, we kiss each other, right? On the cheek every time you meet someone. Yeah. Men or women, doesn't matter. You, you, you. So the, the sense of like space is very different. Mm-hmm. Here, the closest you get is like hug someone or, or most people you just shake hands. Mm-hmm. Like I never shake a woman's hand in France. It yeah. would be rude. You know, like you, you, you kiss them actually, you know, and that's totally, I mean, normal, you know, it's, it's like, it's just cultural. And so, um, space is different and and i feel in america there's a much different understanding of space in rooted in the culture you know like and also the sense of like property you know like just this is my property i do whatever the fuck i want and you can't trespass or something it's like it's, it's i mean i guess we have the same rules like the same laws but you it's fine to like i don't know like walk in someone's property and you know knock on the door and talk to like i don't know there's a very different sense of all that like yeah i don't know if that's necessarily about space with here with knocking on somebody's door or coming out i think that's just about like fear this fear yeah this mentality of like i'm being attacked or aggressed or um scammed or it's just like this we we as a country have like this looming fear just hovering over this entire fucking nation. Yeah. I mean, a multitude of things, whether it's to get fucked over or somebody's gonna rob me or who is this guy knocking on my door, and it depends on race. If you're black in an all white neighborhood, that's a concern. If you're um white in an all black neighborhood, mm. that's a concern, right? Are you Jehovah Witness? Are you trying to sell me something? Right. You know, are you about to have my grandmother sign a fucking magazine deal and she has Alzheimer's and now we're getting right. Latino magazines in the mail and none of nobody even fucking speaks Spanish. Right. I only say that because that has that happened, happened to, you. to my grandmother <laughs> oh, who has shit. Alzheimer's. You know what I'm saying? My oh, mom spent shit. months on the phone trying to get them to cancel this shit. And so it's stuff like that that you I think that we are afraid of right. as a country. Um and then you have the, the rare people who aren't afraid, who will open a door, who will have a conversation and mm-hmm. not suspect anything. They mm-hmm. will genuinely be there with you, present, and talk to you mm-hmm. and walk away and be like, oh, that was interesting, mm-hmm. and not even think twice about it. But those people are very rare mm-hmm. just because Well, I, I it's, feel, not, yeah. it's, it's not common for it to be that innocent. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sadly. 
Yeah. I feel like it's a little more common in France. To be that innocent. Probably. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, there is still, I mean, there is assholes everywhere, you know? It's like oh, God, yeah. Every country, every culture, every subculture, every community, there's assholes everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's, but in, in France, I mean, there's less this sense of like, oh, it's my property, it's my thing, go away. Or, or maybe that's where I was raised and then I have also maybe a bias about it. I, I don't know. Yeah. But here I really feel the difference. And so when, yeah, when to come back to my kids, when they come here, like they're really confronted with a very different sense of like space and respecting each other's space and also their own space. Like I have to educate them of like understanding that it's okay to feel the need that they need some space for themselves. Yeah, it's okay to be alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it's not necessarily natural for them. To be alone. Yeah. Yeah. And or, or to feel they have the space and the right to ask for that. Yeah. It's okay for you to ask for some space. Yeah. And it's okay for me to respect that. Yeah. You know? And, and the, yeah, they're learning about that. Did you guys, do you guys live in a neighborhood where you know pretty much everybody like is it one of those situations so where here or there like do your children yeah. live in an area where they know pretty well, much the I who th- lives where what like they know people yeah it's, they do yeah it's a they very do. community because that's another difference i think with a lot of places i'm not going to say everywhere in the united states because there's many places that are still very community based but a lot of places especially in bigger cities like chicago new york l.a you don't know the people you live by. Right. You don't like people right. move in and out. People are constantly right. going and coming. Right. You don't know these people. Yeah. And so, I mean, shit, even in like suburbs and stuff where people are buying houses, they don't yeah. even live in houses like they used to for like 15, 20, 25 years where they yeah. raise their entire family. No, they live there for a short period and then decide to take a job in a different state or to yeah. move all the way to yeah. the other side of town. I noticed. That, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's okay. Yeah. To yeah. not have these connections. It's also okay to break your children away from these friends uh-huh. and uproot them and move them to yeah. make new friends. It's just a part of the process yeah. now, yeah. Um, which I think is huge when you're talking about somebody that knows everybody. It's like if I do something or if I am misbehaving or if I'm disrespectful, it's going to get back mm-hmm. to my mom. Like it's going to mm-hmm. get back. Like that's a different way of mm-hmm. being raised. Or that's understanding true. even space. That's and, a different way of understanding space than if yeah. you walk out and nobody knows who the hell you are. You can do whatever you want to yeah. and know that if you if nobody saw you, you technically can get away with it. Yes. It's like... There's a different kind of respect also yeah. that you learn for, for others because you're accountable too. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about a sensitive topic because... So my kids live actually in Switzerland, in Geneva, the, the French-speaking part of Switzerland. And in Switzerland... Um, what I learned living there for a while is and, and working over there is that uh, people learn that delation is a good thing. That so what? Delation. What is that? Uh, I, I, I think it's the same word in English, but I'm not sure. It's like, um, uh, how do you say that? Um, like denouncing. So you see someone doing something wrong and you're going to denounce them to the police. You're going to go to the police and tell the police, hey, Oh, got you. This person did that. Yeah. You know, so you're you're a rat, basically. Yeah. So doing that 
is taught at school to children as being something you need to do. Like Got this you. is it's good. A very common behavior. Yeah, you need to do that. It's it, it's part of being a, a, a citizen. A good citizen is to tell on whoever. <laughs> Versus our motto: it snitches get stitches. <laughs> yeah, and in France too, because you know we still have the Second World War yeah. and being invaded by the Nazi. And you don't tell. You yeah. fucking do the revolution. You know, you, you, you help people escape. You don't tell on your neighbor that is trying to help. You know, like, yeah. so there's a very deep roots like that. But Switzerland was neutral during all those wars. And so they have this thing of like, it's fine to do that. So um, I've like written the entire Switzerland off as racist. Oh, yeah. Because. <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> of this one time when i was in switzerland i was in in the air force and uh i walked well we were walking and this airman white airman walked into this restaurant literally like a minute before me because mm. we both had to use the restroom mm. she walked in i came in right behind her asked where the restroom is the white hostess was like or switz what do you call them Swiss, yeah. Swiss hostess or whatever yeah. says to me, um, I'm sorry, there's no public restrooms. Right. And then I'm like, but my, the airman that I was literally just steps behind just came in here and asked to use the restroom. I know because we were both going to the restroom. Right. She says, I don't know who you're, she was like, whoever just asked me for the restroom was attending, like wasn't here eating. And I'm like, no, I promise no, you're, 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 you're both she's, I promise in. you she wasn't in here eating. And she was like, ma'am, I'm telling you. And like, we've had this little debate back and forth. And then I just was like, you know what, whatever. And then a couple seconds later she came out. Right. And we walked out and I was like, you know, she wouldn't let me use the bathroom. And she was like, wow. I just said, where's your restroom? And she pointed me right to it. Wow. And that just, to me, I like wrote the entire Switzerland off. I was like, they're fucking racist in Switzerland. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, granted, this was 13. No, this was more than 13 years ago because I've been doing stand up for 13 years. So this was probably like 20 years ago. Uh-huh. You know, I went to the military in 2000. Yeah, it not changed much. 2001. Switzerland don't change much. It's, yeah. They have but a just, very strong identity and mentality. And yeah, they, it was just it was sad. Much. It was like, wow. Like, and yeah. I'm in uniform. It's not like I was wow. even out there just in regular civilian clothes. Like, no, I had on armed forces uniform. So for you to tell me I can't use your bathroom has wow. a strong president's president prejudice yeah. against my complexion because yeah. it's the only thing that could possibly do you, do you, give you this well, impression Switzerland of is a close country right so they're not letting people immigrate there easily at all it's super hard to like move into this country it's, it's actually impossible if you unless you're rich or you have a skills that they need you and so they need to hire you yeah or you're married to a swiss person but other than that you cannot get in switzerland wow. they're really closing the border because it's a, such a small country and beautiful and rich that they they don't want more people they're just happy the way they are so i mean i remember you 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 rarely see people of color in in switzerland like yeah. they, they're not you there know like they no stand out like you you know population you, of us there it's no, crazy no 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 they don't and yeah that's the difference with france uh paris where i grew up or different like germany or every, every other country mostly every other country in europe have immigrants coming mm-hmm. from north africa from different you know poland different part of uh, east europe it's just normal you have like huge population and it's pretty much 
blended and, and it's fine, you Absolutely. know. Switzerland, no. No. No, no, yeah. no. They I keep could being see that. the border closed. I feel that. Because mm-hmm. even if you're already there and you don't want to stay, mm-hmm. they won't let you use their facilities. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you're in not order welcome. to u- so in order to use you're the restroom, you're gonna have to leave the country. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that you can use the bathroom. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, no. No, there. Yeah, that that was my experience too. Yeah. I mean, it was easier for me since I'm white, even though my father's uh, Arabic. Yeah. But you don't, it doesn't really show on my face or on my yeah. skin. So, but I was living there for a little bit and just like the simple thing of like, I had a car and I had French, um, plates, like, mm-hmm. you know, matriculation plates. I don't know how you call it. Like the, the, yeah, the n- license plates, license plates was French and it's very different from how it looks in Switzerland. And my mm-hmm. car was vandalized in Switzerland when so there's no crime at all in Switzerland. <laughs> no crime. Except there's for like that car vandalization. Exi- yeah. <laughs> like because it, it has a French plate. That's petty. Yes. And it was a nice car and everything. And but I would because I was trying to match the Swiss wealth, you know, because in Switzerland, like um, you have like really expensive car. You see them all the time. People have a lot of money. So you, you just see Sorry. <laughs> I'm like, what the heck is that? Yeah, that's that's even my no, it's the thing from uh, whatever. So um, yeah, so so you you get used to seeing like really fancy cars all the time, which actually at the time changed my perception of like what's acceptable and what's not. Yeah. So then eventually, after spending a few years in Switzerland. I, I was like, I when I bought a, uh, my second car or whatever, I got a really nice Mercedes Benz, like expensive. And it was just like barely middle class for Geneva, Switzerland. Wow. But then I would drive out and then I would look like a fucking, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> Who's rich. this rich guy yeah. trying to show yeah. up in our neighborhood? Yeah. 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 And, and then I, and then I realized, oh, my God, I, I didn't realize like my perception changed. Mm-hmm. And what I thought I needed that was not at all. It was just because I was trying to match yeah, to yeah, my yeah. environment. We call know? that keeping up with the Joneses. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and who the fuck is the Joneses? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows these it's people. It's in your head, right? It's in We're your head. That in your in our yeah. head. It makes me think of something you said. Like, I don't know why it makes me think of that. Internalizing is a waste of energy. I heard you say that. Internalizing is a waste of energy. Yeah. You heard me say that on the podcast. Maybe or in your show. No, probably in the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that? What was the context around that? I have no idea. I just, <laughs> I just, but I mean, honestly, it's just to. to it's like when you're thinking and you're like making yourself all those uh, excuses or things in your head, and then you start, you're in a spiral in your own head, and then you're internalizing things. And, yeah. And the way you're you're saying like it's just a waste of energy. Yeah. Just let it out. It like, is. Let it go. When I think about internalizing, I specifically think about just like taking something either one done to you by another person uh-huh. right taking it personal right that's one waste of energy to I'm internalize really that. that oh i'm really good at that um yeah. then and then two looking at something like on tv or the behavior of someone else and 
internalizing their behavior as a behavioral trait of your own. And though this can be very mm. valuable if you're using it for that reason, if you're using it just to compare right. your greatness over someone or your lack of mm-hmm. greatness under someone, if those are your reasons, then it's a waste of energy. Right. If you're using it to say, oh, oh I can identify with this. What in, what in me, what in my personality, what in my ego, what in my life mm-hmm. has me identifying with what is occurring on this on this TV screen or in this person or in this behavior. Mm-hmm. Even like when we um we might may look at a, like a heavy set person um and you know we judge them mm-hmm. almost instantly. Mm-hmm. And that judgment is a deeper issue within yourself mm-hmm. that if you just acknowledge the fact that you're judging that person, you look at them and you say, "Oh wow, they're big." And then you're like, "Oh, that's so judgy." Mhm. Right. And then you've internalized that judgment. That's a waste of energy. Mm. You're not helping yourself by just, oh, that's so judging yourself. Yeah. You're not helping yourself. But by acknowledging that you did just judge this person and exploring deeper why why you judge that person. Right. right? Am I do I have heavy, heavier members in my family? And I know that it's a potential that I if I don't eat right, I can be like that. Or am I right? What am I afraid of? Mm. What is this about this person that has activated a fear sensor yeah. in me yeah. that forced my ego to jump into Jeez. overdrive and defend it right. by making this person out to right. be the victim. Right. You know what I mean? Like, what is that? Right. And so when I think about internalization just as a whole, uh-huh. if it's not being used for evolution, right. then yes, it is an absolute waste of energy. Yeah. I, I don't know why it really made sense. And I like thinking, think, like, instead of being like, oh, don't internalize or internalizing is, is bad. It's like I f- felt like it's a waste of your energy m- in a way makes it a positive, like positive change, like changing that and understanding that mm-hmm. is is going to be positive. Right. Be- therefore, you're going to have more energy for positive things exactly. for yourself. You know, because I feel we're in very much a society of like black and white. And uh, I mean, when I say black and white, I'm meaning like, yes, no, this, that. Uh, I mean, like, do that, don't do that. And mm-hmm. it's like, why? Well, because it's bad. And do it's like so much doctrine, right? Like we have those culture and subcultures and we're thinking in doctrines. And I... I'm really stunned by like, we can't talk anymore. Well, it's just fear advising fear. It's just, you know, it's fearful people advising more fearful people how to live and exist and be (laughs) and uh connect. Uh You know what I mean? Without anybody making their own choice and decision and guiding themselves based on that deep-seated knowing yeah that's what we tend to ignore and the more we ignore that the more we ignore who we are on a very um spiritual and i don't want to sound all like you know no god like that like but just 
Like I, so in, when I think about like me in my transitions over the years, cause I've been many, there have been many transitions over these last, I don't know. I'm going to say my daughter's 18. I'm going to say 18 years, right? Several transitions over the last 18 years. And what I've realized is that in the course of all of the transitions, I was required to trust myself a little more before I could move into that next phase Mm -hmm. of my transition. If I didn't trust myself in that phase, I would continue to cycle through it. Right. Now that I've reached a point where I'm not going to say I fully trust. I don't think anybody does. Right. I'm not going to say, Oh, I trust every choice I make. Sometimes I'm like, Oh shit. Right. That was probably not a good decision, right? right? But I am learning to accept when I do make a, a bad choice or uh-huh. whatever, which enhances the trust for myself even more, uh-huh. right? And now at this level, I can interact, connect, uh-huh. love, question my judgments, and really be present with people in a way that I was never, ever, ever able to do mm-hmm. when I was just judging and critiquing right. and, you know what I mean? And judging and critiquing and right. judging and critiquing right. and, and, and having all these biases right. um, that I would use to judge and critique right. versus looking at the situation as plainly as a white wall. Mm-hmm. It's not what you assume it to be. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You don't know. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's as a as a people I really do think the times are changing where we are more of us are starting to uncover that about ourselves mm-hmm. and we're starting to feel the disconnect. Um and and the energy and the, 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 the yes, the no's, the black, the white, we're mm-hmm. starting to see that that's not realistic mm-hmm. for our existence. That's not how we're built to exist. We're multifaceted. We're very creative. Mm-hmm. And you have people that are like working regular nine to fives. They're in a rat race or the hamster wheel is what, you know, whoever want, whatever you want to call it. And they're starting to feel the heaviness in their legs as they continue to run and run and run. They're starting to see that this is not sustainable. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not sustainable for anybody, which yeah. is where disease and stuff comes from. It, it gets that creative energy of like freedom gets stuck in our body in ways that if you don't release it, it becomes an emotional and a physical burden right. until you die. Right. Like, like, right. like straight right. up. Right. 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 So, um, I don't know if that answered your question, but yeah, that was kind of absolutely. I I don't even know if you asked the question. Did you ask the question? (laughs) I don't. I don't know. I remember. I I was just listening to you, and and it makes a lot of sense. And and I'm wondering, when do people um, change and understand that? Is it? Do you need to go through hardship? Do you need to go through hard situation to understand that, or? Are some people able to get to that place without going through tragedy and drama in their life? Well, I'm going to answer this in two ways. The first way I'm going to say 
having, no, I'm going to answer the other way first. So the first way, in my opinion, hardship is subjective. Mm -hmm. So you may be a marathon runner, right? Running up the stairs to use the restroom one day, you stump your toe and break your pinky that is a hardship for right, you. Right. That's huge right. because that's what you do. Like mm-hmm. that's, you've done it for years. Mm-hmm. You've always done it. Now mm-hmm. you have to go through a emotional growth mm-hmm. to get through that mm-hmm. with patience and kindness for yourself versus um, regret and resentment resentment right. exactly depression right. all of that you choose you have a choice true in the to matter react. you have a choice to respond to respond reaction is typically not the choice it's not mm. taking a choice it's just doing being re- habitually in, right. what is no and i've had to literally do this for myself mm. because i have had a laundry list mm-hmm. of traumatic events happen in my life mm-hmm. I've had to say to myself when I find myself going into moments of depression or sadness or something Mm -hmm. where I can feel the cycle beginning, Mm -hmm. I've gotten better at being able to say, you know where this leads. Mm -hmm. You know what this feels like. Maybe, maybe try doing some yoga. (laughs) Maybe try going for a walk. Maybe try the other option this time because you know what laying in the bed crying scrolling through instagram looks like right you know what i mean and so when i when i think about the choice that you have you know we can't say somebody one person's hardship is any more than another person's now now me having lost two living children Mm -hmm. you know and a brother to suicide and just being raised in a very emotionally inconsistent household with a lack of emotional intelligence and lack of boundaries, understanding that that's where I've come from. I've had to use my situation, the trauma in mm-hmm. my life, the, the self-hate, the um, lack of clarity and understanding for myself. Like I've had to use that to question mm-hmm. my emotions. Mm-hmm. It's forced me to say it has to be something else out here right. better than this. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like right. that, that forced me to get there. That's not to say I would have never gotten there mm-hmm. had I not been through any of that. That's not to say that but I may have come in a perfectly great household with two loving parents. And, you know, and like for instance, my daughter, my daughter went through the loss of my daughter. Mm-hmm. My, my, my oldest daughter went through the loss of my youngest daughter. Mm-hmm. She was alive when that happened. Mm-hmm. So she spent 15 months going through the same emotional yeah. inconsistencies that I spent during that time, right? right? She also went through not being around me during that time because I was in and out of the hospital with the youngest child. Mm-hmm. You know, not to mention I travel as a comedian. True. My daughter spent a lot of her younger years with my mother mm-hmm. until we got until I got married, and then we became a four household family, you mm-hmm. know, with the mother, father, and another sibling. But before that, life was pretty inconsistent 
for my daughter. Mm-hmm. If if you were to even try to measure it up against my childhood, it was probably very similar True. just because it may not have been that many people in the house, but yeah, there was yeah, the same yeah. amount of neglect mm-hmm. to an extent. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, my mom was very like loving and giving to my daughter and very like she would read with her and stuff like that. But for the most part, I was still not as present mm-hmm. during those formative years. So when I think about my daughter and who she is today, she's grown a lot emotionally from like she was in an abusive, emotionally abusive relationship when she was like 14 Mm -hmm. and was with him for two years. Mm -hmm. And it was really stressful. She grew up through that Mm -hmm. in her spiritual sense. Mm -hmm. And though she saw what I went through, she wasn't the direct, excuse me. She wasn't the direct person dealing with that, if that Mm -hmm. makes any sense. But she saw me going through that, Mm -hmm. which forced her, to have to grow up in some ways, forced her to have to think and evolve. Mm-hmm. So though my daughter, you wouldn't look at her and say, oh, she's the most spiritual person in the world, but you can clearly tell she's centered in a lot of ways. You can clearly tell she has a different way of looking at the world because of the things she's had to adjust and go through, yeah. which has been considered her own hardships. Mm-hmm. Those are her hardships, mm-hmm. you know? And so I don't know what you've been through, but maybe just the disconnect of you having two children that live in a completely Mm -hmm. different country is a huge emotional hardship on you. That may, you may question, um, you know, what are you doing to them emotionally? Mm -hmm. Right. What you being married to another woman, how is that Mm -hmm. affecting them? Like all of these questions that you're going to have to get through Mm -hmm. is your hardship. Mm -hmm. But I do think that there's a lot of growth Absolutely. And asking those questions and, and really exploring them, not asking them in a way where it's like, well, what am I doing to my children emotionally? Like really yeah, why sitting, am I a victim to not being yeah, a victim? To yeah, that, not being actually, a victim, just really getting curious, yeah. really asking the question and allowing the answers to show up in a multitude of ways, ways that you never would have imagined, mm-hmm. allowing those things. And even if it's not the answer or the thing that you want it to see, mm-hmm. being able to accept that and sit with it and say, this is what it is. Now, what can I do about it? And yeah. that's a beautiful thing is that even after we realize that this is where I am, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm going through. That very next millisecond, you have a choice, mm-hmm. you know, and it's about knowing that that choice exists. A lot of us, when we're in that space, can't see yeah. that that choice is there yeah. because we're so clouded programmed also. you know I, I was literally just thinking the other day and it's definitely a lot of programming a lot of habit a lot of i mean everything's habit from the way from, you learn how to brush your teeth yeah. to the way you walk it's all habit right. um but i was just thinking about this the other day i was like you know some people are still in the storm when it's not even raining mm-hmm. and i say that like if you're looking at your you live in a big house or you live in the house i don't care what size it is you live in a house there's a big tree in front of your window. The only window that is a part of this house, there's a huge tree in front of it. It was pouring down raining. You're looking out your window. You can see the rain. Then it stops. The sun is out. Birds are chirping. People are all running. White people, probably with their dogs and kids, right? This is happening. Mm-hmm. You think it's still raining because you're looking at the tree and the leaves that are dripping. Mm-hmm. You can't see past this mm-hmm. because in your mind, it's still raining. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's how hard it is sometimes to see that choice, to see that sunshine on the other side of that tree. 
It can be difficult, Mm -hmm. but it's there. And what you have to do is just reach for that next best feeling. So if you're depressed or feeling like this hardship is too much and, you know, I'm whatever you're going through, even if it's like a, I remember crying over a C on a test, you know what I mean? Like being stressed out about that. So if I'm crying, maybe the next best thing is just to stop crying. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's the next Mm -hmm. best solution to start working on fixing this. Mm -hmm. Stop crying is not going to give me the A, Mm -hmm. but it's going to it's going to clear up the current emotion Mm -hmm. in order to help me think about what the next best step is after that. Mm -hmm. Then maybe after I stop crying, maybe thoughts are showing up in my head now and I can actually think a little clearer and I'd say, oh, maybe I can go and ask the instructor if there's some extra credit that I can do. Mm-hmm. Now I'm coming up with op- options. Yeah. Options are typically not present in that dark space, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like that tree totally. in front of the window. Totally. So I do think, Is there- I do think that if you haven't been through any traumatic situations, you can still evolve and grow. Mm-hmm. And it's really just about getting really, really honest with yourself. And that, that means in every facet of your life, questioning your prejudices, even if you don't think you have any. Right. You know what I mean? If you are a white person in America, I don't give a fuck what you think you think. Uh-huh. You have a prejudice. Right. And you need to figure out what that is yeah. and why you have it. Yeah. It is there. It is it is literal, literal entitlement. And, right. and I hate that. I hate to talk about entitlement because... I feel like it's it's something that as blacks we immediately like oh is it entitled you know because you're white it's an entitled it's just like uh-huh. an easy go to uh-huh. but it's real but it is real and and I don't I mean shit if I was born in the entitlement hell I'd be loving it too like I yeah. get it I'm not yeah. I'm not yeah. I'm not telling you yeah. I'm not telling you to not love the fact like if my my parents were born with money and they tried to pass it down I'm not going to be like fuck your inheritance I want to build my own yeah, no yeah, yeah. I'm going to take that shit you <laughs> know what I mean yeah. so it, I get it yeah. but to take the money and then go build sweatshops with it right. would be irresponsible right but to take the money and figure out how I can live to my highest truest self mm-hmm. and still connect and build interconnectivity with other people that that is promising mm-hmm. that's way a way better way mm-hmm. of approaching that scenario so when i think about entitlement or privilege it's about getting quiet and sitting with yourself on why you feel this way and what can you do Mm -hmm. to help change the way that we as a country look at this, you know, race and and, and, and entitlement and all of that. And it's not even about like when people say that, Oh, well you you look at what way I can do it. It's not even about like going out and starting a fucking movement. I don't want you to put a black lives matter thing in your front yard. Mm -hmm. Like that's not what I'm saying. It starts with, questioning your own prejudices it starts with clutching your bag when a a black male with a hoodie walks past you and you not asking why did you do that Mm -hmm. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. it's not about even noting like if you clutch your bag a little tighter i do it Mm. that's how that's how i know that i have to question it's been several times i've Mm -hmm. been in a fucking like elevator or something and a and a roughneck dude come in that even me being from the hood, mm. it'll be like, mm, no, nah, nigga, I don't want to be in this elevator with you. You know what I mean? Like, mm. I will have that thought. And then I'll have to question, 
what about this what about this boy? what about this boy what about yeah. this man next yeah. to me yeah. made me assume that this was unsafe for me to be in the same mm-hmm. space with him mm-hmm. what about him mm-hmm. obvious color of skin why yeah. why do i feel that way about people that can literally be my cousin yeah I'm perpetuating the same image that I'm giving, I'm giving fuel to the fire that's already burning so high. Like I know that I'm a part of it and I don't hate myself for being a a part of it. Cause a lot of it, I think is subliminally taught in ways that I didn't even know I was being taught at a very young age, but I'm very cognizant of it, which allows me to change it Mm -hmm. because now I can see it for what it is and choose Mm -hmm. differently. And it may not happen initially. It, It may take several instances of being uncomfortable situations and making the wrong choice to have to say, Kelly, why do you keep doing this? Right. Let's try to work on this. Let's try to get better. Let's try to question deeper. Yeah. You know, what is it? Maybe journaling about it, you know, meditating on it, Mm -hmm. whatever it is I have to do, but that's the work that Mm -hmm. has to get done. And the real issue is most people just don't want to do the work. It's way easier. It's way more comforting to stay in a space of ignorance than it is to actually grow out of it and evolve to your highest, realest, truest self. That, yeah, which, I mean, makes me think of two things. Is that prejudice and entitlement are intens- intrinsically, uh, you're not self-aware. Like, you know, if you were self-aware, you would see that it's a prejudice or that you're entitled to something. So it's like, it, you know, when people are uh, experiencing that, Mm-hmm. it's because they're not self-aware. So in a way, like the solution is to be self-aware, but also the the root of the problem is that they're not. So, And questioning it, it's because well, somebody can be self-aware and be told that they're entitled mm-hmm. based on someone else's mm-hmm. opinion of them. Mm-hmm. And part of balancing your own energy work is to really get honest about whether or not that person had a point, Mm -hmm. whether or not that was a true moment of entitlement or maybe it wasn't right. Maybe that person is just jealous or whatever. That person, that person also has his own demons and deflections that he's dealing with. So maybe it didn't have anything to do with you, but the, the whole point behind your work or my work or the individual's work is that, questioning to ask the question is to ask the question and it it literally takes just a second like was that a moment of entitlement yeah you know what i mean like did and and it goes back to intention right what was your intention behind whatever it was you did did you have did you have an intention of like i should be able to park here right i should be able to go in first i should be able to do what is your reason for that why Mm. would why should you be able to park here were you already sitting right here waiting for this person to come and you had on your turning signal Mm. and then when they pulled out you pulled in Mm -hmm. or did you dart in front of somebody on some asshole shit Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like really Mm. question what your intentions was what your behavior was and by doing that it just constantly opens up more and more available options Mm -hmm. to be different Mm -hmm. you know in those cases so is there you started talking about all that saying there's two answers to that well that was the two you the first one was um i even if you haven't been through trauma Mm -hmm. is by questioning right that behave you know what i mean if you want to if you want to evolve as a person everybody's trauma looks everybody has faced trauma everybody 
Yeah. It just looks different. Right. You know, my trauma is extreme for most. Right. My trauma, most people can't fucking believe. Right. But then you have somebody else trauma who may have lost her best friend when she was four. She might not even remember much of it, but I guarantee you there's some type of trauma or disconnect that's still there with that person. And until we look at those things realistically and heal them one by one, you know, and maybe we die and we're never healed. We really don't know. But until we look at that stuff and we're willing to look like really look at it, that's where the growth comes from. So traumatic life or not traumatic life, questioning your intentions, questioning your behaviors, your prejudices, and really getting honest, um, sitting with those answers, I mean, those questions, being open to whatever answers that come to you. Yeah, that's the big deal. Yeah, like being open to whatever. A lot of whatever. the time, the, question, the answers are not the one you expected or you wish or are not the easy one. Or we're not even listening for them. Yeah. Something happened the other day that I thought was so cool. So I've been really working on my patience level. Uh-huh. Like I have been working so hard. Regarding to what? To patient. Just in general, like in general? driving, like right. just really being like driving the speed. Because me, a couple things. One, I have a BMW. Okay. You're talking zero to 70 and like under 10. Like I, I get up quick. Yeah. So because of that, there's already a power ego right, trip right, there right, right. anyway. Like right. bitch, you challenging me at a light, I will dust you. Right. right. That attitude. Right. Gosh, I carried that for a very long time. Uh-huh. Then I realized that when driving, I would, because I read a book called The Body Keeps the Score. I don't know if you've ever read that. It's uh-huh. a really good book, and it just talks about how things show up in the body. Memories are in the body yeah. in ways that we may not necessarily know. Mm-hmm. And so because I started to work on my patients, I started to realize that when I felt challenged or I felt like somebody was like trying to cut in front of me right. or anything, I would just get this like tension that showed mm. up in my neck and in my back. And, you mm. know, and I'm just like, so oh. you're in reaction. Yeah. It's like reaction. A, like I would react physical reaction, physically react like, bitch, you're not about to beat me. Right. Watch this, like this competitive energy. Yeah. And some might be like, oh, well, that's just road rage. But road rage is so much deeper of an issue uh-huh. in your life. If you have fucking road rage, right. I promise you, you have other issues with competitiveness, mm-hmm. you know, um, self-esteem, tr- self-esteem, maybe? insecurity. Like it, there's yeah. so many, there's so much longer of a list of shit that you need to revisit <laughs> in order to combat that road rage. Right. And so knowing this, I took on driving as my patient's mm. um, lesson or teaching skill, if yeah, you will. Yeah, like yeah, I took yeah, that like, on as the one to teach it's me your how exercise. to exercise. Yeah, like it's your the daily exercise, exercise, the daily exercise to... of like slowing down. Exactly. Mm. So now when I drive, I don't. I typically don't go over the speed limit. Like I'm right at maybe five or six over the speed limit. Mm-hmm. Um, I always, if you have on your turning signal, I will let you over. Mm. I always stop. And let people over. Mm. Um, if the light is about to turn, I see it. I take my time and I stop at the light. Mm. I try to be places on time, even though I was ten minutes late. But <laughs> I that try to good. be places, you know, way in enough time so that I'm not stressing or running late or having to speed because I'm stressing and right. running late. Right. You know, just giving myself that time. And I've been working really, really hard on my patience. Mm. And sometimes we don't see the signs that show up that tell us right like we're not listening right for what we need to hear because right. we're just so what in focused it. in our own shit and so 
several things have been coming up. Several people over the last few weeks have been like, oh, my God, thank you so much for your patience. Thank you so much mm. for waiting. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for being patient with us. I understand. Mm. And so I went to uh, this place called Sweet Green on State Street. Mm. They, they sell salads. And um, I was in line, and it was like a trainee that grabbed to make my food. Man. And the first thought I had in my head was like, fuck. <laughs> I don't want this fucking trainee making my food, right? That was like my first thought. And I was like, Kelly, whatever. It's, I mean, what the fuck? Yeah. Why does it matter, right? And I just, I, as quick as the thought came, uh, I dismissed it. Right. I was like, oh, I don't want this fucking trainee, whatever, right? right? And so I just stood in line. I let her make it. And I was like, oh, if you could put a little bit more of that, whatever, just stood in line. Then I got to the register and the manager that was kind of helping her make it was like, you know what? I'm going to take care of this for you. Thank wow. you so much for being patient with our trainee. I wow. really, really appreciate you. And so that's a direct s- validation of direct validation, the, the work you're doing. Yeah. And so when I got in the car, I didn't realize it at first. And then I got in the car and I was like, I mean, that's big. I was like, wait a minute. I just got this fucking salad for free because of my patience. Yeah. I was like, and I've been told several times in the last few weeks, Thank you so much for your patience. Thank you so much for being patient with me. Mm-hmm. Just that is the universe telling me it's using people to, to let to me know you are being patient. We don't listen for that stuff. We just take mm-hmm. that shit and let it roll off of us because we're so used to people giving us whatever half ass compliment or, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, reassurance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't really listen. Mm-hmm. And it, that was my first time where I think I like heard the universe speak to me. Mm-hmm. through somebody else and was like oh shit i am being patient mm-hmm. good you're job succeeding. kelly you're doing what you're trying to do yeah, yeah. and it just was so fulfilling like i had such a great day That's after awesome. that because yeah. i acknowledged it for one and i really and do you took think it. you took it in i took it in i was mm-hmm. like this is a part of what the work that i'm doing and mm-hmm. this is amazing and i can actually be proud of myself for this it's okay to pat myself on the back and say good job yeah i feel uh, i have a I had this problem for a long time is that as soon as I reached one of my goals, I right away create a harder goal. (laughs) And I don't take the time to appreciate that I actually achieved what I was aiming for like a year ago or whatever. Mm -hmm. And for me, it happened in juggling, like literally uh, every time I make a step and I, you know, juggle five balls and then I'm going to juggle seven balls and like it's it's obvious that you make a step because suddenly i'm able to do something way much harder exactly you didn't start out juggling seven balls right yeah so it it took a long time to do that and every time i did achieve it and i like enjoying for a few hours and then i'm already setting up the next challenge the next step and so i i realized i was constantly in a quest of getting better and and challenging myself but never really enjoying the fruits of it yeah and being like hey like i i I did that like Mm -hmm. let's celebrate that i achieved my my goal yeah and i think i was afraid of um being like not condescending but like just satisfied about you know like staying mediocre and like being like oh that's it i achieved my 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 goal of like whatever five balls and and then now i'm i'm good and and then i'm gonna stay at that level because that for me when when you stay at the same level for a long time 
it's kind of mediocrity, you know, like if you have the capacity to keep growing and getting better, I I, ha- I had the, the idea that you should, you should yeah. strive to get better. Yeah. And so, but there's also a balance in validating yourself and, and like just accepting and, and enjoying like, hey, I, I got there, like this is amazing. Yeah. Actually, I got a huge backlash when um, I finally got hired by the Cirque du Soleil, like it was seven years ago, but when it happened, it was like 14 years into my career of like starting to be like, okay, I want to be a juggler. And I didn't realize at the time, unconsciously, I set a goal, like an ultimate goal uh, was to be part of the Cirque du Soleil and, and be in a show that another juggler that I really was looking at, like, okay, this guy is the best juggler in the world. Mm-hmm. I need to get to the same level. Right. I kind of like put that in my mind and I forgot about it. But then I like that was my ultimate goal. And then eventually I did achieve the goal. Like the literally this guy stopped performing in one of the Cirque du Soleil show and that show called me to replace that guy. Oh, wow. So I actually like literally made my dream come true. Yeah. And so it was awesome. But then afterward, I had a huge backlash. I was like, what's next? Yeah, because that was my biggest challenge, and one, and I realized, oh, I, I was in a, like, pursuit of challenge where I never enjoy actually achieving anything. Yeah. So even though I'm achieving my highest dream, I'm still not happy. Yeah, I'm I'm still in this limbo, being like, oh, okay, I, okay, I did it. So what's next? Yeah. Not understanding that the whole, the whole purpose was the journey. Yeah. Like be, being in the journey, being in the moment, mm-hmm. growing, and that actually maybe the purpose of life is to grow. That is the purpose of life, which is why we start out as like babies, toddlers, right? toddlers that can't even hold our fucking heads up, and then we become full functioning human beings in right. the world that is creating new things for the next life, right. the next form of life that's going to go or next group of beings that are going to come here. Uh-huh. You know, I, I do think it's all about growth. I think that if you're not growing, you're not living and that's just what it is. Like yeah. you should be, excuse me, you should be learning something, you know, new every day. You should be, you know, and it doesn't have to be people think when you learn something new every day, like it has to, you have to go study. No, it might just be, you just know. have to be aware. Yeah. Because there is lessons coming to you all the all time. All the time. Right? Everywhere. Like, I mean, something as simple as like going into a bathroom that you've always been in and then hitting your knee on the door. You know, the lesson there may be to slow the fuck down. Yeah. You know what I mean? You've yeah. been in that bathroom a million times. Right. You know that right. wall is there. Right. Right. It's you not could new. walk into it. You, With your eyes your, closed. Your eyes closed. So you're right. not being conscious in this moment. Right. And that's why you hit your knee. You know what I mean? Like, it's like lessons all the time. I think that, um, well, it makes me think of, I'm sorry to cut you off, but it it makes me think of, I was amazed when I saw you perform that you were tapping into your personal story and not only such a personal story to you, but also the current what's happening now, because I remember you were telling me that. You just uh, were at your daughter's graduation party, and that they're graduating and they're going to college and they're mm-hmm. moving out. And it's like it's a, it was 
when I saw you perform, it was a few months ago, and it was literally happening that week. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were making jokes on stage about it, like, the same week. That's kind of my problem, (laughs) actually. That's, like, that's a good thing, but not really. (laughs) Why? Why? Just because it's, like, you never give a joke room to really become what it can become if you stay with that joke. So Uh I tend to bounce around based on what's going on in my life. Uh I love doing that. I love going, like, if I'm, you know... uh, like, for instance, I interviewed this lady the other day, which was super dope, by the way, for this Comedy Central podcast. Her uh-huh. uh, name is Jermiko, and she's a huge fashion designer here in Chicago. Well, really all over the world. Her stuff has been sold in Saks Fifth Avenue, mm-hmm. uh, Neiman Marcus. Like, she's been all over the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think her stuff has been in, like, over 5,000-something stores. Like, she's... Wow. Like huge, you yeah. know what I mean? Uh, she did the zip up hoodie in um, the Beyonce lemonade video. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, Pray that you catch me that hoodie that zips all the way open. Uh-huh. That's her uh-huh. hoodie. And so I was talking to her, and like she's just saying stuff. And she's an old lady; she's seventy three, mm-hmm. right? And I'm sitting here and I'm listening to her, and she's just like um, random stuff. Like she's naming people, and in my head, it's just like joke, 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 joke. Uh, like I have all these jokes about the conversation about like interviewing this older lady and uh-huh. just like her not knowing certain things and then her naming people and me thinking like, I don't know who the fuck Charles is. Who the uh-huh. fuck is Charles? Why uh-huh. would you name this man and not give me any context around uh-huh. who he is? You know, and stuff like, and it was just so funny to me that if I had a show that night, I would have yeah. definitely went up there mm-hmm. and just like ranted about it, mm-hmm. right? Because it was so fresh in my mind. It was so funny in the moment that I try to savor that funniness by taking it directly to the stage and seeing what other people think about it the thing is is after the moment has passed though the energy behind that joke also tends to pass Mm. and so I really don't have a desire to talk about it anymore or to even build on it because it is what it was so when you're talking about a stand-up comedian and building sets Mm -hmm. you need to have the same material over and over over again you built you're building a set you're refining you're building you're chiseling down stuff that doesn't work and i do that with some jokes like some jokes about my daughters my husband things that are never changing right because it's gonna be there because it's part of my yeah but i do spend a lot of precious stage time talking about things throughout my day just because it's actually just it's fun literally happening now it's fun to me it's so much fun to talk about it's a huge skill i never I, 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 I never saw that before. You're the first performer I see that are uh, like stand up comedy wise. Yeah. Uh, that are that is using. There's a lot so of great much. comics that do that. There's a lot of great comics. Oh, yeah? You got like like a Dave Chappelle will go up on stage and tell mm. you about his day. Mm. Uh, a Bernie Mac, Chris Rock, like mm. they'll do Kevin Hart is big for just telling you. Tiffany Haddish will tell you about her day. Uh, it, a lot of great comics that just wow. because they're more of conversational comics. That's right. the kind of comic they are is they they just talk right. and you laugh at them right. because they they have funny thoughts the way they think the way they the think way they is just abstract from yeah 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 and so that viewpoint is funny and most comics that have that i think um use it to build more material gina yashere another one you know you use it to build you say a joke based on what happened in your day and then you take that and you build on it if you build on it you're supposed to build on it i don't yeah. typically i'll ditch a joke if i'm like 
tired of it. Right, you know what I mean? Like if I'm like, right, oh, right. this joke about this old lady and her dropping names mm. is not really registered. It's not really resonating with me in mm. the energy that I want to be infused in this set. Mm. So that's gone. Mm. But there's other stories that do like hold on for time and time again, like the the running joke, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That started out me just telling a story where I was mad at my husband and mm. I was chasing him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that got built onto like somebody, a comic one day was like, you know what? That joke would be so funny uh-huh. if you physically ran. Because oh. I didn't used to tell it like that. I used uh. to just say I ran after him. Right, I would right, tell right. you I and ran you after him. And he was running. like, physically run on stage. Watch the car drive away and chase the car. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And I tried it and it got the biggest laugh. Then mm-hmm. after that, I just started building on it. I was like, I'm going to chase him. And then uh, Gina, the Gina Yashere yeah. was like, oh, what if you go swimming? What if you like come across some water? <laughs> and I was like, oh. And then I was like, oh, man, it's a little kid on a bike. And then yeah. I like get this bike from this kid. And so now it's like this. Whole, and then one day I was in Indianapolis performing at Crackers, not Crackers, Jokers. And um, I just started walking up these stairs uh-huh. and, and like more and more stairs. And they were uh-huh. cracking up laughing that I was going up like, 15 flights of stairs in this joke Mm -hmm. and so now that's part of the joke Mm -hmm. that i go up all these stairs and Mm -hmm. then i got to the top of the stairs and decided to write down write like sign in right and put uh, on the name tag and it's like now that's a part of it and these are all things that just happened in me performing it over and over again one time i ran up more stairs one time i built sometimes yeah like depending on the audience you're gonna like skip a part of it or now is it built like that and you you know it just works the way it is and so you you need to to stick to the form um primarily it works the way that it is like i use it that way uh if i'm gonna do it but i have omitted parts of jokes that I didn't feel like we're super strong and I needed the joke to just be like, bam, bam, bam. And I didn't need that little soft moment to rest them. I needed them to stay with me the whole time. Um, Also, sometimes uh, a piece just isn't working in a joke anymore. Mm. Like you may have added something that's funnier Mm. and therefore this part that used to be funny gets drowned out by that funnier part that you right. added. So now you can't even use that. Or yeah. maybe it steps on the toes of something you've already said yeah. and you can't use it. Yeah. So it just really depends. Um, and that's, I mean, that's the beauty of performing is like you just get to tweak and play and tweak and play until you get that rhythm of like, oh, this works just like this. Yeah. You know, which for me being a conversational comic, it takes a while to get there to that joke for a joke to be like word for word. This is how I say it. It takes uh-huh. a while because uh-huh. I play with it a lot until uh-huh. I just, until something just flows and I'm like, Oh shit, that's it. That's it. Yeah. yeah I play yeah, with yeah, it quite yeah. a bit. I was very impressed by the, uh, when you stop talking and physically mime or acted like you're running, you're swimming, you're doing that. And you, you're like just owning it so much. You're stretching the time to that. And that also was part of, building the laugh where people felt at one point kind of lost and then because you stick to it then it becomes funny and there's i mean i feel there's a lot of artistry in owning that because most of the stand-up comedy i'm seeing here in the u.s are just people talking and there's a stand-up yeah yeah and there's there's not much awareness on people's on the comedian's body like Mm -hmm. or or they might have like a style of like how they're holding themselves on stage yeah how they lean or how they yeah so how many times they touch the mic stand and stuff like that yeah understanding that they're aware of that and they're playing with that because it's kind of like building their their identity but they're they're not 
using it to tell a story, like actually tell a story. Yeah. And I, I loved it so much when you were doing that. And it's pretty rare. Yeah, yeah. I would. I mean, I come from the circus, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. clowning in the circus is that. Is well, Lucille Ball is like one of my favorite comedians. Uh-huh. So like coming up watching people like that, I just desire to be fun and be funny and to like really take control of the entire stage. There's so much yeah. space a lot of the times that we don't utilize yeah. when you just stand in this one little pocket. And uh, I also feel like that's our minds too. There's so much space in our minds that we don't utilize. We just uh, stay in this little pocket of comfort. Oh, and it's like good, uh, so analogy. much, yeah, it's like so much other stuff in there that we have yet to explore just because we're afraid to open up that part of us. And I look at the stage like that. Like when I'm on, when I'm on stage and I've gotten in, I was just writing about this earlier actually while I was talking about when I when I I'm so in love with the performance where it's like I'm performing in front of my best friend I'm just Uh, looking at my homegirl and telling her about something like and then he had the nerve to come over here and this is what happened you know and I have like all of this energy behind it that's my favorite time to Uh be on stage it's just like to connect so deeply with people and to paint this picture and silence is golden to me in stand up, but that's not something that is, um, easily received by a lot of standups. It's actually one of the most difficult things to do is to be quiet and sit in situations. Me, I learned that very early on, Mm. uh, probably like two, three years in, I used to do a joke about, um, and this is back when I would write these kind of jokes, but I would do a joke about, about the first time I ever uh, sucked a penis. The first uh-huh. time I ever sucked a penis versus the first time I ever sucked my husband's uh-huh. penis, you know, and just uh-huh. the difference in how, like, how when I first saw this first penis, I was like, oh, I didn't look uncircumcised. And yeah, I was just yeah, in, yeah. in the, but, but the joke was me staring at it. So I put the mic on the mic stand, yeah. and now I'm having this silent interaction yes. with me yeah. and this penis that I'm looking at for the yeah. first time. And yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah. like, weirded out by yeah, it yeah, i'm yeah. like okay and it's this, only facial expression and it's all in your body facial and, it's yeah. all me like holding yeah. my arms yeah, and yeah, kind of yeah. squinting my eyes yeah. looking at it <laughs> right. from then, side uh, to side <laughs> and then i like smell it i go <laughs> you know i have a little sniff and then i look and i notice that it's like something coming out and i like pick it up and my hands stick together. Uh And so I'm like, uh uh yeah, what is this? And Uh I have like this whole moment, but that, that moment that I'm having with the mic stand is like the audience watching a TV show. Yeah. Like they're literally in it. They can visualize this penis. Cause you gave them the picture. I gave them the picture. It's so funny because I have another joke where I pick up the mic stand, not the mic, the mic stand. Yeah. And I like wave it around like it's a penis. Uh-huh. And um, I say that like a guy, like I was about to have sex with a guy and he took off his pants and he pulled out his penis and he was like, come jump on it. And it was the size of the mic stand. He like pulled right. it out. And so I'm like waving it around. He like, come jump on it. You know, but when I wave it around like that, if the audience is near me uh-huh. and I put it in the face of a guy, it's so funny how they're like, Ugh, no, get that, get that uh-huh. thing, get that thing. And I'm like, it's a it's fucking mic stand, no, bro. That shit is a dick so to them. I'm talking much, about, yeah. I've had so many guys come up to me after shows like, bro, I thought like, I don't know why I couldn't see it as a mic stand. I just couldn't see it like that. You painted the picture so well. And I love that because it's most of it is done in silence. Most of it is done with me just showing you, which is why um, 
I don't know if this is the complete reason. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of insecurities and some other reasons around why I haven't released an album yet. But to release an album where it's mm. just voice, I mm. feel like does me a disservice in a lot of ways mm. because of the type of performer yeah, that I am. You're, you're totally missing you're gonna miss on so this much whole... energy. Yeah, that's yeah, part of like the a performance. Good, a good 30, 40 percent of your 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 comedy is silent. It's like yeah, playfulness or just a look. Yeah. Right? Or you, something like you, that. Yeah. Your yeah. body, your face, your, yeah. your acting. Your, All of it. The mime also. I really f- mime in the sense like I understand what you're doing yeah. just by you acting it and not talk, explaining it. You know, you cannot paint a picture and then you give some space to play with it physically. Yeah. And for us to, to for our imagination to kick in yeah. and fill up the blank. Yeah. I, I personally love that. And, um, started like in i'm what i'm doing is not comedy obviously but the 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 playing with the with people's imagination Mm -hmm. came also pretty early when the audience would come back to me after a show and tell me share with me what they're experienced yeah and they did that not because I asked, just just because you know pe- some some people are so moved, moved to, yeah. <laughs> that they want to come to you and tell you, oh my god, when you were doing that and you dropped the ball, but then you went to the ball and took it. I saw this uh, like uh, thing I read in this book from the 18th century with this peasant with his sheep, and then. She uh, one got lost in the mountain and he went and rescued. <laughs> and I was, what the fuck did you see? Right. But then I realized I just had seven balls. I don't yeah, know what right. she was looking at. I don't know <laughs> yeah. where he saw the whole thing. But then I realized this person was so moved. Yeah. And the person, the, the experience that that person had was real. Yeah. For them. Yeah. And in a way, it doesn't matter what I tried to say. It doesn't matter. Art is subjective. People receive it the way they receive it. Yeah. Yeah. And from that point on, or also I had feedback like, oh my God, I saw the planet. I saw the universe and the earth going around the sun. And and I had this whole experience of like galaxy when you were juggling and I was like, I never. I could see that. I could see that. Right, but I never intended to, yeah. to 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 portray or even even thought of it. I even I never thought of it. Yeah. But people see that, and sometimes they see it and feel it so deeply that they're convinced that's what I want to say. That's yeah. what I was saying. Yeah. And then I realized, oh, the less I say and the more space I give to the audience to make up their own story, the the stronger people create a story yeah. and the stronger the experience they have yeah so there's kind of two things it's like first of all i don't need to create concepts that are too complicated because people are everybody's crazy in a way like everybody has their own imagination and it's being an artist is to allow people to follow their imagination and yeah. have their dream and their journey yeah and also um I don't know. I don't remember what I want to say. Oh, yeah. Like, um, who am I to say, what do you need to understand? Who am I to say, oh, no, no, you know, what I'm trying to express is this. Or, oh, no, no, 
I just performed. It was, it was bad. I, I made the mistake once for someone to have like re a strong reaction to my performance coming to me and be like, oh my God, that was so powerful. And me being in a stretch, like doing like a hundred performance in three months and one of them was I felt was really bad and me being like oh no today was really bad and then the people were so disappointed because for them it was such a great performance and then I realized I, I can't do that yeah I, I, I can't do that you know I cannot tell someone this might have been their first time out to see anything yeah. like this in 10 years and yeah. to see you was incredible to yeah. them yeah I can't take that away yeah. from them it, yeah even if I'm the one who did it because in a way it's not mine anymore. Once, once, you, re once you let it go, it's gone. It's gone. It's not. I mean, I don't agree with that as far as my jokes. Like, don't fucking tell my jokes and not give me credit. But I feel you. No. But <laughs> like the experience yeah, of the yeah, moment yeah, the is not moment. yours anymore. Yeah. It's like you have your own as a, as a performer, but then the audience has their own. And those two exist separately. Yeah. Just there, I have one question. Like I, you you mentioned it a little bit. Like you were saying, like when you perform, you're you're looking at the audience like it's it's your best friend, mm -hmm. and you're telling them about your experience. Because I really noticed that you you are actually looking people in the eyes. Mm -hmm. You're actually looking at your audience in the eyes, and that that's really powerful, and it can be very destabilizing. Because I mean, so, sometimes they're like not into it. How how does it in Packed you? How 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 are you getting strong enough to like look at people in the in the eye? No, kind of like no matter what. Um, I feel I I've learned to move in energy, like based on energy. And so if huh. I glance at somebody, I can tell whether or not their energy is gonna let me have this moment with them, or if this is gonna be if I'm in the mood to fuck with them. And they're, they're not, like, in into the show. If I'm in the mood to, like, have that moment, huh. then I'll have that moment where well, I acknowledge the fact that they're not they're into not the show. Like, oh, am I boring you? Mm. Right? If, if I need to have that moment. I don't have a lot of shows. Like, thankfully, knock on wood, universe, whatever. Um, I don't have a lot of shows where people aren't into what I'm doing. Like, yeah. they're there. Yeah. For the most part. Right. Um, and when I look people in the eye, I just give them a certain energy of, like, I, I feel like I almost position my performance in a way of like, you're a face that I'm using, but don't take it personal. I'm, I'm going to protect you through mm -hmm, this. Mm -hmm. Don't feel like you're out here getting Shot attacked right or, now. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to protect you through this joke. Uh -huh. Um at least for the most part, I try uh -huh. to do that. When I when I when I look at a person, I give them a certain energy. It's more of like a camaraderie of like, you feel what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Are we in this together? Mm -hmm. Right? And if I don't get the response I'm looking for right away, mm -hmm. almost instantaneously mm -hmm. from this person, if I'm in the middle of something, a really big joke or something where I need a point to be made, I'll move on uh, almost instantly. I'll be like, you feel what I'm saying? You get what I'm saying. Come on, that right, sister, right? You you get me? Right. Oh, oh, we good? Cool, cool, cool. You, and you're the one. You lock in you're the one. Else you're the one. And you keep because on going. this this person and that person was not. You're the one. Okay. And we have that moment. But it's never really that long anyway. It's like you're no, talking a matter but of seconds. It's powerful. Like it's yeah. I mean I mean it, we're doing different things, but like for me, sometimes when I look at the audience and towards the end of my performance, if you know, if I'm looking straight at someone and they 
they're looking at their phone or something, it can be like destroying, you know? It yeah, can, but it's not that, that, that negative, you know, very negative. It's a couple things there, right? You can take that as uh, a slight on you, right? Towards you where this person's looking at their phone. So you're terrible. Mm-hmm. You can look at it that way. Mm-hmm. And if you choose to look at it that way, mm-hmm. then the next step isn't, oh shit, I'm not a good performer. This person's on their phone. The next step is this person's on their phone. What can I do or how can I create such a phenomenal act where everybody wants to be engaged? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the next question, mm-hmm. right? How, what do I, if you want to take it on as a, as, as, as a um, personal mm-hmm. issue, then you must ask those questions mm-hmm. in order for it to be safely handled mm-hmm. in, a, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can say, this person's ADHD ain't got shit to do with me. Right. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like right. their inability to enjoy and be right. present in a show it's, is it's on not my them. Problem. It's That's on them. On them. Right. Because you do have some people that just, True. they cannot be off social media. They right. need to see Snapchat. They need to see, like they're fucking right. addicted. It's like right. a drug. The younger you get, the worse it gets. Yeah. So to think that this person's sitting in your front row and he's looking at his fucking friend Snapchat is somehow saying that you're, you're right. fucking 15 years of you. work that right. you've put in as a juggler mm-hmm. ain't shit mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. like you can't take that for that mm-hmm. this person's just a dick and they don't understand how to be in a live show mm-hmm. that's on them right you know what i mean and if you're so disturbed by it a lot of the times there should be people but we play shit clubs that sometimes don't do what they're supposed to but most clubs should make sure that that doesn't happen right. Right. so that you don't have to feel that right. way because right. it's not always about you in yeah. fact i would i would i would dare to say 97% of the time it's not about you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That Mm -hmm. other 3% of the time when everybody has their phone out, you want to get your shit together. Right, 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 right. <laughs> And it's a good wake-up call, too. Yeah, you right? know what I mean? Like, like, if you're looking out there and the majority of yeah, the audience got their phone out, bro, you, you fucking up. Yeah. You fucking up. It's not on the audience. Yeah, it's on be, you. Yeah, because yeah. I, I taught myself through the years to always own... Um, the however the show goes and mm-hmm. not be the easy answer like the easy ways to be like after a show it didn't go well and you're like oh tonight the audience is shitty it's and never it's, the audience it's never the audience it's never the audience it's because we're entertainers so it's our job to entertain the to audience entertain. So it, it's like if the audience is difficult it happens sometimes the audience is difficult so you need to to work harder to it yeah. but it, you know it's so there i i there's this way like in in cabarets uh variety circus a way of you know backstage being like oh fuck tonight the audience is terrible and it's like well it's sometimes the audience is hard and it's harder to get them but it's still our job to to get them and like people say that comedians say that too comedians will be like oh they they're they're not a good crowd or they're hard or they're struggling tonight or something like that or the host will be like man they are not with me Uh but me i never take that like oh i'm gonna have a hard time Mm -hmm. i don't look at that i don't i'm not gonna have a hard Mm -hmm. time i'm gonna go up here and i'm gonna have fun Mm -hmm. and they either can jump on board with me having fun or not but i'm gonna go up here and do my part now there are some days where i will have this chip on my shoulder and i'll maybe smoke some weed before I go up and I'll be on stage like super chill, Mm -hmm. like not really in it. And then it may be like an "Eh," set. And in my mind, 
I'm questioning, oh, should I have smoked a weed? Should I have done this? And I'm trying to work through the steps of like, mm. why did that set go the way it went? But then I'll have a ton of fucking people come up to me and tell me that was the best set they've ever seen. So it's all subjective. It really yeah. just depends. Yeah. Um, but when you, when you know that you have a certain feeling towards, towards the performance, regardless mm-hmm. of what the audience mm-hmm. reaction was, whether they thought it was the best or the worst. Mm-hmm. When you know that I could have done more, I could have mm-hmm. done better, I could have prepared harder, mm-hmm. whatever your thing is that you know you should have done, then that's when it's worth yeah. acknowledging. Yeah. Because I like, for instance, like I, uh, I tour with this comedian named Kristen Toomey. We have a tour mm-hmm. called the Matriarchy Tour. Mm-hmm. And so... We travel all over the country. Mm-hmm. Um, we go places like Indy. We've been to like some smaller spaces in Indiana. Mm-hmm. And what always happens is, she, you know, she's this white female comic. She's very, very funny, very talented. And when we first started going on the road together, I was, and I think she's used to being a headliner too, but I was, I mean, I've been doing stand-up for 13 years. I've been mm-hmm. headlining for quite a while. And I had this uh, kind of like this energy when I would get on stage of like, I'm the fucking headliner. Right. And so, yeah, I'm going to do 40 minutes, but I'm going to take the first 15 to warm up and play and fuck with the mm-hmm. audience and do mm-hmm. what I do and kind of get in and, you know, and maybe I'll do some good material. Maybe I'll throw some new jokes in here. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll play with this. And I will go up there with this very lackadaisical, like right. whatever mentality. Right. Um, and then, this. yeah, I got this. And then Kristen, um, being already very funny, has started to get much funnier. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And uh-huh. her performance is very, very tight. And because uh-huh. she only does 30 minutes or 25 to 30 minutes uh-huh. for the most part, and I yeah. do anywhere from 50 to an hour, mm-hmm. it sometimes it can almost make my performance. If you got 30 minutes, like if I was doing 30 minutes, I can fucking blow out 30 minutes. You, you tight, 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 bam, 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 mm-hmm. bam, bam. Mm-hmm. So, and it's no excuses. There is no excuses around the emotion that I have mm-hmm. behind this. But she'd go up, and she'd kill. Mm-hmm. And then I'd go up and have to work really hard to, to keep them with me. And yep. then once I got them, then we're good. Mm-hmm. But it's like that first 15, 20 minutes of like, oh, no, 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 I'm funny too. Right. You just got to let me get, oh, right. no, 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 I'm funny. Uh, but and, I have a different so style. With, I have a, yeah. Do you and, have different styles? Uh, we're very similar but different. It's really, I mean, we have the same energy to uh-huh. an extent. Like uh-huh. we do you know some so yelling. it makes sense that you're together yeah, 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 yeah. on the we're same perfect, set i mean on the same show yeah yeah, yeah. But we're then a perfect combination own personality so it's like when i would what i at first i wanted to say oh i'm gonna start going first because it's a tour mm-hmm. we're we're doing we're both headlining technically it's a tour mm-hmm. she typically does lower time than me just because i go last and when i go last i just stretch and i have fun and i do right. 50 minutes right. to an hour but we're supposed to do like 40 minutes a piece mm-hmm. it's supposed to be just 40 and 40 so then i have these times where i'm like well i should put her up last i should make her go after me mm-hmm. i should work and do the front spot mm-hmm. kill it and make her have to do all the mm-hmm. hard work but then i was like you know what the reality is is I should be able to follow her yeah. no matter what. Yeah. And if I cannot follow her, mm-hmm. then that means I'm not doing the work mm-hmm. to be able to follow her. Mm-hmm. So if I'm struggling after I get on the stage for the first 15, 20 minutes and I have some types of in- insecurity about it when I get off stage, mm-hmm. then that is an insecurity within Kelly. Mm-hmm. That has nothing to do with the order of the show. Or that has her. nothing to do with the audience. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, and it definitely, it, it, would, it never had anything fault. to do with Kristen. Right. It right. never had anything to do. I already knew it was all about me. Mm. You know, but if I were to try to blame it on anything, mm. those reasons that I listed, the audience, 
the energy, mm-hmm. Kristen going first, mm-hmm. none of the, it being all white room, right? Because right? we play a lot of all white spots. Mm-hmm. None of that matters. Mm-hmm. Either I am here for it mm-hmm. or I'm not. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's it. Yeah. And, yeah. and so understanding that when I have these moments with, especially it happens a lot more with her just because I'm on tour with her. When I have these moments, if I don't have the best set, I immediately go back to the drawing board on myself. Mm-hmm. Like, what is it? What is it? What could I have done differently? Let me listen to this set. Let me make some notes. Let me adjust some stuff. Or maybe it has nothing to do with my material at all. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's all energy work that needs to happen. Maybe mentally I was questioning whether or not I'm going to be funny enough after hearing how funny she was. Mm -hmm. Maybe I got insecure about that. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, and it was one time when I know I got insecure about it. And I even told her, I said, when you were on stage, you were so funny that I started feeling insecure about Mm -hmm. it. You know, and I had to go to the car. I went to the car. I meditated and I prayed and I was like, allow me to ride the wave of this energy. Mm -hmm. Allow me to jump on this good time that we're having as an audience. Mm -hmm. Allow me to appreciate and 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 be grateful for this partner that I have on the road that has the ability to bring an audience to this state of desire for laughter and then me to come and just pounce right on top of that. Like that's a beautiful thing. So what I did was I put the energy work into being accepting and Mm -hmm. loving and appreciative of my circumstances versus doubting and thinking of all the shit that could go wrong in those circumstances. And I noticed that it completely changed my performance. I was able to have fun and really enjoy the audience versus getting in my head and probably end up having a shit show and fucking it up. Yeah, Yeah. Just because I was, in, in a very negative, secure, yeah. pessimistic state about it. Of like, oh, why, why this? Why this? Like, no. So let you me meditate just to, to, to take care of that? You oh. pray, you meditate, like you're saying? For that particular instant, yeah. I did. I went to the car and I meditated. I meditate every day mm-hmm. anyway when mm-hmm. I wake up in the morning. Mm-hmm. But in that particular, and, and throughout the day, sometimes if I feel the need to like take a minute and mm-hmm. ca- count my breath or just mm-hmm. take a breather or just get centered or mm-hmm. just acknowledge where I am in my space and time. I'll do that. Mm-hmm. I'll give myself that space like several times mm-hmm. a day. I've learned to acknowledge that part of me that needs that mm-hmm. versus just ignoring it and saying, fuck it. I'm going right. to keep moving. Right. It's like, no, cause I, I feel that, uh, insecurity too, obviously before going on stage. And I feel like it's, Um, it's something that most performer feel like mm-hmm. it's a normal thing to, 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 to feel uh, when you're about to go on stage in front of people and, and share and being like honest and intimate and pour your heart and, and, and soul and share all that who you are because the closer you the closer you're honest and close to who you truly are on stage the harder it, or the, the stakes are really high right because mm-hmm. it's like you The feedback mm-hmm. are coming right in your face. Yeah. And um, for me, one of the ways is is to walk in circles. <laughs> like to actually walk m- helps me get into my body. Mm-hmm. Like, um, like instead of being in my head, is like activating and walking and feeling my feet like on the floor. Yeah. And like the weight of my body and like recenter and like just calm down. Yeah. And and it's funny, I I started doing that, I think. Sometimes I'll do like push ups. Oh. 
Like yeah, if I'm so about to like, go into an audition, boom. yeah, or something like that, and I'm feeling really nervous or a little antsy, just, and I'll just break, I'll just bust down and do like 15, 20 push-ups, yeah, and then I'll get back up and just kind of shake the energy yeah. out. And it kind of like, yeah, like, well, yeah, the idea is get out of your head, yeah, break, get, get back into in your, your body. body, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, p- p- please, where uh, where people can find you? Uh, my website, kellyhoward.com. That's uh-huh. K-E-L-L-Y-E, last name H-O-W-A-R-D.com. So mm-hmm. kellyhoward.com. Um, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all under Kelly Howard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I post, oh, I also have a YouTube page called yeah. Be Less Petty TV, which yeah. is all about being less petty with your time, space, and energy. I have a podcast called Be Less Petty. Um, the podcast, which is around the same concept, but it's much more fun and just conversational. Uh-huh. Uh, is is the TV uh, channel going through season like the podcast is going? No, no, okay. no, no. The TV channel is more like recently. Well, before what I did was I would like release w- weekly videos, just different like conversations. Yeah, it's very vloggish. It's, uh-huh. It is vloggish. I uh-huh. mean, that's what it is. It's, it's head to camera. Um, concept sharing, idea sharing, theory sharing, that kind of thing. Um, and How long is the videos? Are uh, the videos? I think probably the longest one might be eight minutes, but okay. most of them are like so four minutes, right. two minutes, three right. minutes. Like right. They're under five minutes. Um, and so I used to just do videos weekly, but now I do mainly what I've been doing just for time purposes is Tiny Tip Tuesdays, uh-huh. which is where I give you a tiny tip on how to you know, live your life a little less petty. Uh And so like this week's tip was, um, what's your motivation? And the whole point was what is driving your behaviors? Mm -hmm. What are the reasons you are doing what you're doing and understanding that to the core, right. And deep seated understanding what that is can help you actually achieve your goals because Mm -hmm when we don't know why we're doing something or we think we know the reason why we're doing something, but it's very superficial, it tends to just come in cycles, right? Mm -hmm. It's like we're doing it for a while and then that gets old Mm -hmm. and we're not doing it anymore. It's like a trend or a fad. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's usually just a lack of understanding. And so when I would work out or I would meditate or I would do all these different things, I would do them very superficially of like, Mm. um, oh, to meditate and to do this is going to be better for my mental health. I don't have to think about all the traumas I went to. I'm supposed to do this right. stuff. This is what's going to fix me, right? right? Or it just even the idea of being fixed right. uh, is a superficial right. way of looking at it. Right. Um, or I'm going to work out because, um, you know, I want to be healthy. But is it really because you want to be healthy or you want to look sexy? You want right. to be Instagrammable. You want to have, right. like, this perfect summer body. Like, or, what are your real reasons right. for you working out? You tell your neighbor you know, Right. You, need, you know, you, you have this obsession with fitting into a size two. Like, what are your reasons for mm-hmm. really working out? And by really getting to the root of that and start seeing that, and I don't say all of this on the video. It's much more concise. <laughs> but uh, when I got to the root of that, and I got sick because I have multiple sclerosis. And so mm. when I got sick, I would, first of all, I had to go through this mental refuckery around the idea of having multiple sclerosis because it's easily, it's so easy to grasp onto an illness and then become that. I'm this, I'm yes. sick, I have MS, I'm this, I'm that. I can't yeah. do this because of the MS. I can't, you know what I mean? It's so uh. easy to do that. And so I was very protective of my energy in that way. But then also... I started noticing like my hips would hurt and my knees would hurt. Right. And I love to run, uh, but I, I haven't been a consistent runner since like last year sometime. And I would make excuses why 
I couldn't run or why, you know, my knees were hurting or why my hips were hurting. And the truth of the matter is the, the real thing is that I'm not taking care of myself in the ways that I have to take care of myself in order to feel good. And once I understood uh-huh. that, once I got to the truth behind everything, like I dug in deep and said, okay, what am I really, what are my real intentions here? What are my motivations? Mm. Why do I need to do certain things? Okay. Well, stretching and doing yoga helps me literally just to be able to walk around more comfortably throughout the day. I don't wake up with hip pain and back pain and butt pain and all of these other things Uh that I was starting to feel on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So by doing yoga every day, it helps with that. By doing yoga every day, I'm healthier, not just in my body, but also in my mind because Mm -hmm. I know that I am taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. I know Mm -hmm. that I am loving on myself in a way that is going to make sure when I'm 50 or I'm 60, I can physically be able to enjoy the presence of my grandchildren Mm -hmm. or, you know, and it's like we don't think that far in advance because we're like, well, what right now is right now, but right now affects tomorrow. You know what I mean? In every way. And it's like once you just get honest about that Mm -hmm. like if you fucking binge drink every weekend or you eat like shit and you're throwing up or you feel like shit then you know you know what needs to happen Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the only reason why you haven't switched what needs to happen is because you haven't gotten honest with yourself about why you're doing the behavior in the first place or why you're not doing the behavior in the first place if maybe you're not working out or maybe you're not eating right because some part of you doesn't feel worthy mm-hmm. of being healthy. Maybe mm-hmm. some part of you doesn't feel like you deserve to be fit or desirable mm-hmm. even. Mm-hmm. You know, like maybe there's something deep-seated that needs to be worked out where you can look at this in a way to say, okay, what are my core beliefs here? Oh, got it my dad would always call me his little pudgy pig. I don't believe that I should be fit, even though I'm not doing it for societal standards. I'm doing it because my knees literally feel like they're busting every fucking morning. You know what I mean? Like if you are working out because you want to fit in a size two, because that's what society says is beautiful. It's going to be fucking difficult as shit. than if you're working out because your knees are bothering you Uh and you definitely want to make yourself as healthy as you can be. So you can continue to enjoy life. Yeah. In a healthy way. Yeah. And that's what triggered for me. I started to really see the behaviors that I was doing every day, even like the meditation. It made my meditation much more inviting when I started to get curious about my emotions and my Uh feelings while in meditation. Like, oh, no, this is a moment to learn myself. This is a moment to really get to know myself and really um, start questioning these things that travel around in my head that I'm not even really aware of, you know, like to really get serious about that, to what happens if I love unconditionally, what does that look like? You know what I mean? Like what happens, (laughs) you know, what if, Yeah. and it's just like looking at it from that perspective has made all of these things that used to be just fucking daunting tasks, Uh getting up Uh every day. Cause I mean, because of the trauma that I've experienced, you know, people would, would say like, damn, what does she do to get over that? You know? Mm. And I went through a lot of fucking therapy, Mm. a lot of fucking uh, different processes, whether it's getting up writing or, you know, doing a thank you gratitude note before bed or, Mm. you know, meditating for 20 minutes and then meditating for 30 minutes or doing yoga or running or then just cycling or going to Buddhist 
temples, whatever mm. the fuck it is that I've pulled is smoking weed. You know what I mean? Whatever mm. my, whatever my coping mm. mechanism, because even meditation running, um, yeah, all of that, they're just coping mechanisms. Right. They're still vices. Right. Some are good vices right. and some are bad vices. They're, they have positive impact on your yeah, body right, or, right. Your mind, or your mind. Exactly. But it's not something you have mechanism. to do. It's right. something, it's not something you're born, like born into life. You have to pee. Mm-hmm. You have to shit. Eat. You have to breathe. Right. These are things you have to do. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to meditate. Right. You don't have to exercise. Mm-hmm. You don't have to pray. You don't have to write. You don't have to think, mm. really. I mean, thoughts can go ro- ruminate around in your head, but you don't have to control those right. shit. You can just fucking let them go. Right. You know, whatever. Mm. So when I think about that. And, What's and the intention behind? Exactly. It's like, what am I trying? When I think about my life. Yeah, I could just allow myself to be these things or be this way or. I could really embrace this growth and see what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And the only way to really embrace it is to understand why I'm doing it right, right. and to really understand the benefits right. of it all. If I don't know why I'm doing something, then I'm never, I'm never going to do it from an authentic place. Cause uh-huh. I'm just fucking doing, you know, it's like when you tell a kid, pick up, pick up your stuff off the floor, but they don't know why they're picking up their stuff off the floor. It's like, pick up your, you know, make sure you pick up your toys off the floor because it's dangerous. Someone could trip. And we can also break them and then you're going to be sad. Or Or you you can break them. Someone can step on them and they can get broken. There's a reason now. mm -hmm. Now you understand that I want to pick my toys up because I don't want them to get broken Mm -hmm. versus I don't want to pick my toys up. Right. Why does it even matter? Right. Just like I was raised in a household where parents, told you what to do and that was it they didn't tell you why they didn't tell you shit so much yeah you just get told and this is it and now you have to go and figure out why the fuck you have to go sit in the corner for 10 minutes or why you have to go do whatever or why you have to go to the other room while they yeah smoke crack you know what i mean because i was told to get out the room a lot of times Uh when you know my family was doing drugs it's like you don't know Uh why you need to do these things i feel like the communication of talking to a kid and really expressing to them what's going on helps them to develop as you know that that emotional intelligence just getting them to understand that. And then making them uh, also autonomous. Oh. Because uh, autonomy, give them autonomy. Oh, yeah, yeah, So yeah, then yeah, they, yeah. They, they just going to do it even if you're not there to tell them. Because exactly. they know why. Exactly. The thing is like we're creating dependency when you just tell kids to do something and they don't know why. Because yeah. then you're not there and, and it's a mess. Because you're, you know, like you're not there to tell them exactly what to do. Because, and then they, they, they have and like no you said, idea. giving them that independence, like that yeah. independence, giving them that identity, yeah. giving them something to be able to say, I made this decision. A lot of the times when we talk at kids and we just tell them what to do, we don't allow them to process it yeah. so that they can make a choice from their own self processing right? like, of yeah. what just occurred. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, for, like yeah. I used to make I used to place orders for my daughter. We would go out to eat. When I first got with my husband, he had a daughter the same age. I had a daughter the same age, blended family. He was a single father. It just worked. Mm-hmm. I would, we would sit down at a restaurant and I would say, oh, she's going to have this, this mm-hmm. and this. Right. And then his daughter, he would be like, what do you want? And she was like, oh, I'll take a number. And it was like wow. night and day with how I would coach her through right. life versus he would just right. allow whatever. Like, right. you know, what do you want? Yeah. yeah. And and so by noticing, I was like, oh, shit. OK, I have to give her that. that then he would also tell it, yeah. like he would be like, hey, 
um, this is going to happen. And then I'm going to do this. We're going to, we're going to wake up at 10 and then we, we have to run over here for an mm. hour. And then we, and he would like break down his fucking day. And I'm like, mm. why the fuck does she need to know that? Well, you know what I mean? It, yeah. Yeah. But now I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. It adds security to them. Yeah. It gives them like information so they don't have to wonder, right. you know? And like, it makes them responsible. It makes them responsible. It makes them communicate better. It's right. like all these things that we're trying to quote unquote protect our children. So yeah. we we make the parental decision but for them. But we're keeping them babies. But we're keeping them we're, babies. Yeah. Just like when talking to your children, like you should talk to your child like an adult. It's the most annoying thing for you to talk to a baby like they don't fucking or oh, the baby, right. hey, the baby, the baby. Right, 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 Is that right. how you want the fucking baby? Do you want the baby to be like, yes, <laughs> I am, in, <laughs> I am, I am trying to apply for a job. Are are you uh, hiring? Are you uh, hiring? Like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Like, give this kid real language to be able to communicate with the rest of the world. Yeah, you know, totally. not just his pets. Always freak me out. So, Always I mean, yeah. all of that shit, man. Um, I don't even know what we were talking about. No, but, but, yeah. I, I, what I'm understanding and seeing in your work is that, yeah, there's a tremendous amount of uh, growth in, in your life. But and also you have this desire to share it and and tell the world. And I, I'm very impressed in how honest and transparent you are of your own life and experiences and like great things and hard things. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna be honest with you. The only reason why I'm so honest is because I'm afraid I might tell a lie. It's like in my in the back of my head, I've always been afraid of being a liar. Like I don't want to, I don't ever want to come off as like lying or telling a lie or something's false. So I try to stick to the facts, which have been a problem as a stand-up comedian because a lot of the times you need to embellish. Yeah, you, and and so yeah. I would write a joke exactly how the fuck it happened, and then people would be like, "Well, that part." I don't think you need to tell that part. Right. And I'm like, but this happened. And they're like, yeah, but, <laughs> but I don't think, don't I don't that. think it benefits the joke uh, to say that, you yeah, know, and, but yeah. I'm like, but it happened. And right. it, I'm just so strong in telling what happened. Uh, and I think it has a lot to from? do. I think it has a lot to do with me being a Libra uh, and the scales. And cause I believe in astrology and all of that. Uh -huh, and I just uh -huh. think that my life requires balance. Like uh -huh. I must, in order to function in a healthy way, I must have that balance of uh -huh. fairness, you know. And if I see that something is unjust so or lie unfair, is unbalanced. it's it's an and unbalance. Truth is balanced. Well, not necessarily lie is unbalanced and truth is balanced. It's just authentic authenticity is balanced. Mm. And to tell a lie is to be inauthentic. Mm. So that's to be unbalanced. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I and do. even to I I don't think it applies only to Libra. Even to even to, to exaggerate the truth. Yeah. is an imbalance. Yeah. Well, yeah. On but the, on the flip job, side, you know, you it is. Oh God. Yeah. So I imbalance that all the time, but I'm saying like in just regular life right. to exaggerate the truth to, it's still an imbalance because you're adding pieces to this moment to make it better than what it was because mm. you're assuming that the way that it is and it's the way that you're possessing it is not good enough. Right. right. You're making an assumption based on your perception, yeah. not based on the receiving person's perception. And so I'm, but I'm you, basically, I'm, I'm finagling you. I'm selling you on this idea right, of what right, I'm trying to give right. you versus just giving it to you how it is. Yeah, but I mean, you're being so honest in in your podcast. I, I I've dived into your podcast, not as much in your YouTube channel, but mm -hmm. I bet you're being yourself and you're being so honest. It's like, how much do you need to protect yourself? Because 
you're giving a lot of yourself in I don't the world. feel the need to. You I don't, don't feel the need to. I used to feel the need to protect myself, which is why I was so angry and so damaged and yeah. so fearful and so protective and wouldn't allow people to come into my space. Now, I don't need to protect myself in the sense of like what I share because I think that for one, I'm very I'm a very um, intuitive person uh-huh. and I can almost always energetically tell if something is a good fit right. for me. So you have um, the intuition, yeah. I'm also not afraid to walk away from something that doesn't seem to be working. Uh-huh. Um, two, I mean, three, I'm also very, I'm a very willing person. I'm a very willing person to iron out the kinks and work through scenarios and situations with people that are not up to mm-hmm. my level evolutionary wise or right. just, you know, in, or, or enlightened. I don't even want to say that because I don't think there is different levels to enlighten. I think that everybody's at a place in their life based on right. what they need to learn at that time of their existence. Right. Our and souls you, yeah. have things that we are here to actualize. Process we have to process them. And whether, you know, I get to you at a time where you've processed it well enough for us to interact cordially, mm-hmm. or I get you at a time where you're really Dealing fucking with struggling else. with your demons. Right. And it's hard for us to, regardless of the fact I am not going to take that personal to an extent of protecting myself Uh because I am already protected by the things that I set up for myself on a daily basis. Like I protect Uh, my space anyway. When you meditate, when you take care of yourself. Just in general, just my mindset, the way that I'm Uh equipping my mind constantly in my growth process, I'm equipped. I am protecting myself just from the standpoint of knowing that we're, I don't have to put up an armor to be in the presence of someone that's damaged. Mm-hmm. For one, I myself have been, I don't want to call it damaged either. I don't want to, cause there is no such thing as like damaged or right. fixed. It's just this idea no, of I, like at a different space in their journey. Like I've been on the lower end of my journey before where I couldn't see the tops of the mountain. Right. So now I've you been have compassion there. for people, but now that are there. exactly. I understand that space so because I've been there. I don't need to protect myself from somebody. If, if people protected themselves from me when I was in that space, uh-huh. would I be here right now right. talking to you about right. it? Probably not right. because people were so busy protecting themselves that they were in, unable to let me in. Yeah. And help and help you in. And how does that help yeah, anyone? Yeah, and so, yeah. Me not protecting my space opens up the floodgates for other people to, to be grow. able to not protect them their space. Yeah, you know what I mean, and to to, to more doors to be open. Yeah. And more. I mean, I, I honestly I learned so much listening to your podcast, like on uh, the season on infidelity and like the thing you're like bringing up and and honestly talking. I even had the feeling that at some point you're kind of like going, still going through the process of. Um, growing from what happened with your husband oh God, alive, yeah. like yeah. that you were kind of like sometimes tapping on to things that you might not have talked before. Mm-hmm. And I was like, am, am I actually listening to you resolve it like now? It, it, you know, like, but it was like so inspiring and, and I learned so much about myself, about who I am in my own relationship to my wife. Like, this is so helpful and I was like, wow, like, the way you're open and tra- being transparent and so honest with where you're at yeah. in your life on so many levels, I, I'm I'm very admirative. Uh, I, I admire admire Thank you, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, Thank you. and 
I was wondering that. Like, I, I think I'm, I'm not sure I'm, I would be strong enough not to protect myself. And so that was the origin of that question. Like, do you, you know, if you feel the need to protect yourself, but I understand w what you're saying, like going through what you've been through, the you learn compassion for yourself, for others. Like, it, it's beautiful. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for talking with me and taking the time. Like, it, I really learned a lot about Thank you. Here. Thank you for having me. Like, this was great. Um, I love talking about this shit. Like, I, I, I often... I'm open for whatever, you know, I'm, I'm at a point in my creative space where I'm not trying to force mm -hmm. a career. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to force me to be the next big comedian. I'm not trying to force me to be Oprah Winfrey. I'm not trying to force mm -hmm. any of these avenues. I'm allowing the creative process to unfold from within me naturally. So as I continue to grow, my content will continue to grow. How I approach my content mm -hmm. may differ uh, but it's all about the same process of just being the most fulfilled, authentic person that mm -hmm. I can possibly do mm -hmm. be in this, in this lifetime. And I've, like I said, I spent so many years protecting myself, not trying to be what I thought other people right. want, like trying or trying to be rather trying to be what I thought other people wanted for right, me. Yeah. And it's so fucking draining and depressing and um pulling you out of who you really are if, yeah and like, so i i'm very open to where this career may be but i really love this work like i love the work of talking about evolving souls and the growth of us as beings and just how to interconnect with other people um in a very open and honest and selfless way, mm -hmm. you know, being able to forgive ourselves for mistakes and challenges that we've had to face over and over again because we didn't get it the first time and being just, you know, living on purpose, like coming, coming to life every morning prepared to live. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just... Yeah. That mentality is like, and it's taken me a very long time to get here. Yeah. And and I'm here, but I'm still trying to be here. Yeah. Every day is an effort to stay here, to maintain. It gets easier, but mm. it's an effort to maintain this space yeah. and to trust myself it's work. It's not work to go backwards. Yeah, it is a it is an endless work in from, progress. You can't take anything for granted. Endless work in progress. Yeah. You know, and if I were to give anybody any advice on how to get there in themselves is just to be kind and be patient. Right. Those are the two things that are going to be your best friend throughout this entire existence we call life. Yeah. It's kindness and patience. Yeah. And if you are judging somebody or looking at somebody with any type of ill energy, I promise you, I guarantee you a thousand percent you are deflecting mm -hmm. so on that note so look back at yourself bitch because <laughs> it's on you pull up the mirror now yeah. and yeah. and look at yourself and look in the mirror pull it up thank you so much you're welcome thank you amazing right she's such a beautiful human being i'm i'm so honored to had her on the podcast and that she would come here and, and, and spend two hours with me talking about her. 
her amazing life. So uh, once again, kellyhoward.com, K-E-L-L-Y-E-H-O-W-A-R-D.com and everything is in the show notes. If you want to find her online and, and all that jazz, remember if you find this podcast valuable, please support it. You can rate it, review it, share it, and you can buy juggling props on playjuggling.com and use the promo code. And remember, failure is an essential part of juggling, but failing is not the problem. The problem is not learning from your failures. So get out there and juggle, fail, learn, repeat. Yeah.